0: welcome back everyone we're live for another episode of growing with my fellow growers i'm your host jack greenstock joined as always by an amazing panel i'm gonna pass it over first to spartan grown thanks for joining us again
1: thanks for having me jack hello everybody i'm spartan grown excuse me i just took a big rip before (laughs) before that so i'm trying to catch my breath a little bit but you can find me on instagram at spartan grown all one word no spaces there's there's some pretenders out there. So make sure you get all one word. Or you can, uh, if you don't do the social media, you can just shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. And um, sneak peek information I uh, bought spartangrown.com. I've got a splash screen up there right now, but I have to teach myself web pages. And hopefully by the end of this year, I'll have a web page too grown.com.
0: Good stuff, man. Uh, maybe pay a smart person to take care of that stuff for you. I know. Uh, Dan, uh, full duplex AFN knows a lot about like coding and building websites from the AutoFlower Network, so he might be a good guy to talk to. Uh, I've done a little bit of stuff like if you build your own website through like GoDaddy or like Wix or um, any of these other websites where you can, you know, build your own website. Uh, most of it you can kind of walk yourself through it, but uh, I'm sure you'll figure something out. With that said, next up, Kyle Breeder, welcome back.
2: Hey everybody, uh, yeah, Kyle Breeder here. Um, I do. Uh, I work with Feminized Seeds. If you're into something like that, I do have a website, which is uh, purebreeding.com. Um, I will have some auto flowers on there soon. So if that's kind of your thing too. I just haven't had the chance to upload them. Um, I do have a line that's carried by uh, a few seed banks like DC Seed Exchange, uh, Ace of Spades, which is a collaboration between uh, me and uh, Nomad Manix, which is uh, so far seeming to do really well. Uh, which it seemingly should. Um, yeah, purebreeding.com, uh, purebreeding on social media, pure underscore breeding for Instagram, and glad to be here. Thanks for uh, having me, Jay.
0: Happy to have you back. We've got about 20 of the uh, regulars already with us live, and I want to remind them to click on over to the live chat if they want to see all of the messages and not have anything filtered out. But next up, Matthew Gates.
3: Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist and... I'm very happy to be here as always. Um, If you're interested in plant health information or information about uh, insects and things like that, I just made a post on my Instagram at Synchangel, S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L, talking about orias, which is a minute pirate bug and they're a beneficial insect. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you can check me out there, xenthanol.com or my YouTube channel, which is where I put most of my content, which is Zentnal, the same account that I comment in the chat with.
1: And not to skip over it too much there, but uh, even if you're not really into bugs so much, you still, if you watch that video, you get to see one of those I call them pirate bugs. You get to see those pirate bugs stab the fuck out of a thrip. It's pretty cool. That's yeah, how I go. I,
3: I go over. You can see visually why. You might choose one over another. And I talk about like, cause they're much larger than the thrips and it's very interesting,
0: complicated stuff.
3: So if you're into that kind of nitty gritty, I think, and also some good violence, <laughs> uh, check it out.
0: Yeah. I mean, they gotta be a little bit violent because sometimes those thrips will fight back against some of the smaller predators and, uh, not let them eat them. So <laughs> it poses problems to some of the other predator options out there. With that said, I want to pass it over to Dr. MJ. Welcome back.
4: Hey guys, yeah, I forgot what day of the week it was last week. Forgive me for that. I was kind of wrapped up in a a project. Um, But yeah, I'm Dr. MJ Coco from cocoforcannabis.com. We publish articles, tutorials, and guides on the science and practice of of growing cannabis. And uh, my YouTube channel, Dr. MJ Coco, published a a big review and comparison video last week on different five by five grow lights. Um, Check that out. And we just started the New Year's Grow Challenge So if you have plants that you just started or you're just about to start, you can join us in the the New Year's Grow Challenge over at CocoaForCannabis.com.
0: It uh, lined up perfectly for me. New Year, New Grow, New new Grow Challenge. And um, this year, I'm actually going to try and get a uh, thing over. I actually pop seeds on the first at like 10 p.m. So uh, I've just got some baby sprouts going right now, but uh, I'll be in the peat category. I know you've got like actual soil, uh, cocoa and a few others, but love it. It's going to be cool to see. Oh, yeah,
4: you're you're one of lots of people that has a, a few little seedlings right now. I got mine. I'm really happy with with my little seedlings. Um, and it's just fun to see all the, the noodle plants. So I'm really stoked that, that you're growing with this, Jack.
0: I saw Smot Poker and a few others on Sundays and confused this morning or afternoon, depending on where you're at. And uh, a few of them had some seedlings sprouting out, out of the pot, about the same size or a little bit further along than mine. Uh, yep. but. Yeah, it's definitely been a little chilly here and I think they're getting a little slower start. I haven't supplemented too much heat. But with that said, I want to pass it over to Brandon Rust. Welcome.
5: What's going on everybody? How is everybody doing this weekend? Um Brandon Rust, if you if you're not familiar with me, you can find uh, you can find one my website for Bokashi Earthworks at Earthworks.com and you can find um, mineral amendments for organic cultivation as well as carbon-based fertilizers and also microbial inoculants and all the microbes are 50% off all month so if you need things like Buvaria bassiana, Bacillus tharyngensis, Trichoderma, Bacillus subtilis or EM spores it's all on there. Um, you can also find me at Brandon on IG and just, you know, you can see what I'm doing. Uh, A lot of times I post, um, work that, uh, the people that I work with doing consulting and, uh, soil recommendations. Um, so you can just kind of see, you know, what I'm doing in general.
0: Always happy to have you back. I know, uh, by popular demand from some of the listeners for sure. And uh, I'm definitely a fan of your products as well. I'm like mm-hmm. at the very, very bottom of my micro plus jug, but I've got the other experimental one, which kind of seems like micro plus, but more like iron, uh, you know, supplementing, but uh, I might still reorder the OG micro plus just to have it on hand. Cause I like that. And the uh, amino N plus are my two go-tos.
1: I will say one thing between the two of those, the uh, micro plus smells way better. <laughs> yeah, I like the smell
0: a little bit better. I don't think that the new one's bad, but um, the micro plus I mean, is it's, like, it's appealing. I don't know I like what it is
1: about the old one is or the, new, the 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 new one, the iron one. There's some some smell that I really don't like. I don't know what it is in it.
5: Well, the the iron uh, the iron is going to have uh, humic and then an iron base. So what I do is I add in. The molasses and the humic fulvic acid. And then I add in the iron, and then I add in the microbes, and then I do the ferment all together. Um, and I do that because both of those two species, well, the Trichoderma specifically has a high affinity for iron, um, and so when you use the when you use the iron one, that is specifically designed to help increase the uh iron cycle or the uh the uh reduction of iron in soil into an available form and it's great stuff for you. sure I, I
0: just want to make sure we get uh noah the Groa and the american one introduced here because they're still uh waiting so i want to pass it over to noah first
6: how's it going everybody uh been a little in the weather the last couple of weeks but uh yeah i'm uh noah the grower with two e's um you can find me on instagram been growing cannabis for quite a while and uh yeah happy to be here i'm up in washington state and uh we have been having have a lot of rain but uh yeah happy to be here and uh happy to be healthier than i was so
0: happy to have you back i know you're not 100 yet but you're definitely moving in the right direction and uh i know it was definitely not great there for a little bit and uh just happy to hear you're feeling better and good enough to get back on the show we're always happy to have you
1: absolutely and brandon can i ask brandon a question real quick just because it, um, smiley brought it up in chat and he was wondering Kind of what you mean by the carbon-based nutrient, because he said, "Hold on, I'm going to get the actual comment. I'm going to put words in the mouth because I wonder why let, Brandon let, says let, carbon-based." I'll
7: introduce himself and then I can answer that.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, Tom.
7: Oh <laughs> uh, no, no big deal. No worries. Yeah, Jag panel, everyone, in Chad's good to be here. Good to see everybody. Um, the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore teens on the IG, and uh, yeah, love cannabis, love talking about it, and yeah, let's investigate more. The iron-rich and iron-reducing and implementing powers of Brandon's Bokashi or whatever it's called. Let's get to it. All right.
1: So the the, only, the comment was... Oh, shit. This is all scrolled past me. I can't get the chat to move for whatever reason. Right, here I go. I can drag it. Um, He says, one. I wonder why Brandon says the carbon-based nutrient when Bugbee says they're all the same. You want to just explain what the difference between the carbon-based and your traditional what would you want to you call it based? yeah
5: yeah okay so first of all you have to understand that are there are uh, functional groups in chemistry and those functional ex- uh, groups this one this functional group is going to be carbon oxygen oxygen hydrogen it's called carboxylic acid and when you have some, when you have a lignite, which is usually a, a humified, like, uh, organic matter that's been under immense, uh, heat and pressure at the right pH in the earth. Right. And so they take this lignite out and what they do is they micronize it and they add a catalyst to change the pH. They increase the pH to about 13, 14. And what that does is it separates all these different, um, functional groups, right? They have uh, some hydroxyl groups, they have some esters, some methyl groups, and they separate them out to pull out the functional group. And they use this certain mineral because it has the highest amount of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen to create these functional groups. So it has the highest level. And what they do is they separate the carboxylic acid out All the rest they use, they use for uh, organic fertilizers because there's still other good minerals and stuff in there. Uh, And so they'll use those. They'll recycle those. They take that pure carboxylic acid, which will make humic and fulvic acid chains. um, And then they introduce all of the macro and micro elements that are needed for plant growth, right? Like NPK, calcium, magnesium, sulfur, and then all your micronutrients, And in doing so, they're able to make a homogenized mix of of plant elements that stay in solution in the available form that is needed for plant growth. Because you can't, you have to remember, there's different types of nitrogen, right? There's different types of phosphorus. The plant can only utilize certain ones. And so that's what they react to the carbon. And so it makes these carbon-based chains, right? And so all of those uh, elements are then become an organic compound because they are bo- they're bonded and that car those carbon. carbon groups act as uh transport catalysts so that way those macro is it elements almost,
1: is it like is it is it i mean is it fair to say or am i off to say that it's almost like instead of attaching it to a um
5: edat chelation yeah yeah you're just
1: using carbon instead
5: you yeah so you use a functional carbon group and because you're using a carbon group what it does is it adds that carbon into the soil so that carbon's usable by the biology and since you're able to increase biology in the populations you can create new soil because that is going to help solubilize inorganic minerals in the soil to create new soil. It's going to help improve soil structure. It's going to help with water retention. So it, it is a, uh, it is a manufactured product, but what they're, but what George has been able to do is, uh, you know, he looks at things holistically, you know, science, the chemistry, agronomy, integrated pest management, carbon sequestration and all of those things. And he's able to find something that works, um, to, in, to increase the soil health and fertility while adding in the nutrition that the plants will need to grow and the cool thing is this fertilizer can be balanced for any specific agronomic crop it's state-of-the-art stuff man I was really I, impressed with
1: it you know what's cool is 100% I agree with you that it's state-of-the-art and it excites me because that I mean, I love it but What it makes me think of, Brandon, and this is just a layman looking at it from a hundred yards away. I wonder if that's what the um, indigenous people of the Amazon were doing when they were creating Terra Prada. When they were burning product or burning and making the biochar, that's their carbon source. And trying to then put a bunch of, I don't know how they do it, advanced composting, like a bunch of different nitrogen rich material above it they still don't know how they did it how they created this terra product but i wonder if what you're talking about has no, a lot no. to do with it
5: they, they know how how they they did it it's really similar to making biochar and and you can kind of think of carbon like this because you know carbon is kind of like legos you can build more stuff out of it right so like Carbon and usually it's everything's made from, you know, carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. So carbon, hydrogen, oxygen and nitrogen make amino acids and proteins, carbon, hydrogen and a phosphate group make like fats and lipids. So all these things are made out of these uh, carbon chains, but also carbon acts as kind of like a storage sink because the more carbon that you have, it means that you have more capacity to hold those macro and micro elements on these functional groups on these carbon based functional groups, your humates, your fulvic, your uh, um, fulvic and humic acids. And also you can think of carbon like this because they're making like these, these chains as those chains are breaking down are broken down with like enzymatic processes from the microbes. You can kind of think of it as like it unzips those carbon molecules in those chains and it releases the elemental molecules that are available and they react right so they'll react in solution or they'll react on the surfaces of organic matters where they may be able to be held there until they're utilized they might fall into solution and react with something in there and and not become usable depending on what they react with or they might um, stay in solution and be uptaken by the root so it's you know carbon acts as a storage sink
1: yeah, but worst case scenario, you're not worrying about it running off and, and polluting a, a a water source. It's gonna it's gonna improve the soil where it falls, um, with just the addition of the carbon. I would imagine.
5: Yeah, and well, I've been I did like a video on nutrient use efficiency, and if you don't have. If you look at um, all of the fertilizers on the market, right, you have different parts. And the reason why you have different parts is you can't mix those things together because they're going to react with each other and then they are participate out of solution and become unusable by the plant. That's not the case when you're using a molecular transport system like carboxylic acid. Right. So you can put everything in solution and. It's all bioavailable. What happens is, as soon as chemical fertilizers go, uh, are, um, waters introduced, they start to react, and then when they go into the soil, they start to react. So, right. you know, ninety percent of what you put in there isn't doesn't become bio, isn't biologically available to the plant, and then only ten percent of what is biologically available to the plant comes in contact with the root surface area. So, you're looking at a nutrient use efficiency of something like 00002 percent. As opposed to something like 0.02%, if it's a hundred percent biologically available, which isn't doesn't sound large, but it's exponentially greater than what you were doing before.
1: Well, that's exciting stuff. Now, what's the cost, cost of production and the cost of the final consumer? Is it similar to what they're dealing with with the chemical fertilizers, or is it going to be more expensive?
5: Well, I'm working on uh getting the price lower, right? I would like to be able to sell it to the consumer for a wholesale price of no more than $12 a liter. You know, I'd really like to get it down to eight would be phenomenal. Um, and it's really great because you only need 10 milliliters per liter, but it's okay if you were to double that, right. Or even triple that, you're not going to harm your plants. You're just going to use less of it nice because it it stays in the soil longer in an available form and also it doesn't have you know it's not associated with a lot of the bad stuff that uh the ag stuff like the high um, chloride the high sodium bicarbonates, the edat chelation compounds or anything that's really going to acidify the soil
3: yeah but uh you know talking about eutrophication and like nutrients getting run off and that kind of stuff i mean if it's available to plants and it wasn't there in the environment and if you add it and it gets to the environment it's gonna those plants are gonna use it right like i don't see how that's
4: yeah you still definitely need to worry about the the runoff and of free nitrates and phosphates into the environment
5: yeah well that's part of you know uh the application process too, you, you do for, you apply when you need it and then where it's needed. It's, you know, part of all agriculture is it. And when you're doing testing and you're doing the agronomy part is knowing how to do things responsibly, not over applying, you know, that's, that's just a common, uh, you know, sense and, and good practice when it comes to doing anything with agronomic crops
4: agreed hey, well, and brandon where are you getting those absorption rate figures that that you quoted um but it doesn't seem I, I don't have the data in front of me but that that certainly doesn't line up with what i think is the absorption rate and my, my i'd be in just interested in the in the source
5: what are you talking about the amount that you would use to further frig- get I think with? he's
0: talking about your quoted like 0. 0.00025 yeah, versus 0.00. That. Okay. So,
5: okay. So, Oh, my numbers come from something like, um, if you were to have a nitrogen fertilizer that had 10% and only 10% of that was bioavailable. And then only 2% of what was bioavailable, what you'd be doing on the calculator would be, uh, 10% divided by 10% divided by 2%. To get your final figure
4: oh okay um I have a- yeah i i i'd need to get follow you through that and and see what kind of fertilizer we're starting with too um the obvious question becomes if the plant's using so little of it what happens to the rest
7: that and that is the, the question that's the problem right but yeah i saw well it doesn't
4: go i mean I, I i can tell you where it doesn't end up is um in a hydroponic system it certainly doesn't end up suspended in the media or um in runoff the, those percentages that end up suspended in the media or in runoff. in I'm not are,
5: talking about hydroponics, though. Doc, yeah, uh, talking Dr. About MJ. I'm talking. I, I I'm understand, talking but about, you're just
4: talking about the amount of, of absorption. So yeah, that's why I want to get deeper into the the data that you are talking so,
5: about. So when you're using um, hydroponic nutrient, right? Uh-huh. Those things are usually EDHE-lated, so that way um, they stay in available form.
6: Right. And
5: you're running, and you're running the nutrient solution right at the site of where the plant is gonna be uptaking the nutrient, right? So right time in the right location, just like in regular agronomic science. What I'm talking about is um, in soils and then Mm -hmm. how things are gonna react with the water, with, if they're not chelated, if they don't have any, uh, if they're just like, uh, for instance, mineral sulfates or phosphate fertilizers, for instance, you know, those things are going to react with calcium. For right. instance, the The phosphate fertilizers will, some of them will per, uh, precipitate and become an, um, calcium phosphate, and that which isn't, you know, available. And so that's what we're looking at is how much, and if we're looking at a product that only has 10% of phosphate, right, how much of that is going to be biologically available and then how much of What's biologically available comes in contact with the root is
7: the equation that I'm looking at. You know, so Brandon, that, and I'm keep, yeah. That'll change with the micro life in your soil too, right? I would imagine it changes with
5: organic matter percentages because that will increase the biology, the enzymes that are being produced. Right, right. It'll it'll increase that the because here's the thing in in soil systems. You have to have a constant supply of, of phosphate, but it's usually trapped in an inner, inorganic mineral form that has to be constantly cycled by biology.
7: Yep. Yep. And I just want to make one more other comment. When uh, Smiley at the start of this whole thing, Smiley said, you know, Bugby said the nutrients are all the same that the plant uses, but that's when it's actually brought down to its molecular level. The nitrogen, that's what I interpreted
3: him to mean, too. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, what I uh, Yeah. It.
7: I'll just throw that in there. I'm, I can't speak for bugby, but that's the way I interpreted it.
4: Right. So regardless of the the system that's holding it in solution or making it plant available, what actually enters the plant is the same compound. Exactly. And it's yep,
5: yep. with the exception of some um, low weight organic molecules like amino acids, um, plants only utilize inorganic uh, molecular elements.
3: Wasn't there something that they found recent? Uh, maybe I talked about this and I've just forgotten already. But I felt like I was, I felt like I saw some really interesting research about how there were other things being absorbed as well that we had previously thought they hadn't. But uh, that's really vague. Uh, I just want to put that out there in case somebody. Yeah, remembers I saying think there were like some,
7: that. some probably the roots. I s- the roots take in bacteria, but it doesn't actually go into yeah. the actual cell, and then it strips it of nutrients, and the plants can uptake them nutrients, according to uh, Dr. James White.
3: Yeah, that's uh, you know that's the um, the the right the necromastin all of that. But I was yes. thinking about something like it might have been like an amino acid or something,
5: perhaps. Yeah, or maybe it, like I said, a, a low weight. A low weight
3: molecule, it must have been something, yeah,
5: yeah. I like, I know that there are some, some uh, again, like amino acids. I think there might be even some. I thought I saw something on, I think, uh, some certain types of proteins, maybe even, but I would have to go back and, and look through my uh, my Dropbox.
3: Yeah. In any event, um, you know, that was probably not very useful as a conversational topic only to say that I actually find that stuff really fascinating, but um, you know, that's the thing. It's kind of like when we've, when we talked to, didn't we talk about the uh, perhaps apocryphal telling about how strawberry cough got its strawberry, right? Cause it was grown with strawberries and we were postulating about how likely that was based on what we know about plant physiology and,
0: the parent of uh, strawberry cough, allegedly, was growing uh, in the strawberry that field. But, uh, that was it. Yeah. That
3: was it. Yeah. I think that's a little bit more romantic than likely. But, but what um, about
1: what about rhizofagoras? A little bit. What about them, them fucking free microbes that blast into from one plant to another? What if it came out of a strawberry, went into the fucking cannabis plant? It's and then a, became uh, a, an
4: inheritable characteristic that that plant passed on to its offspring? It's not. Forever. Perpetually. Not, Forever.
1: It's not difficult for me to believe for it to pick up a virus that would uh, make a plant react in such a way. I think the strawberry
4: flavor is a, is a virus. And in this case, now we're saying that the virus is also responsible for the flavor yeah. of strawberries.
1: Well, you, you, nah, didn't fin- you didn't let me finish, but no, I think that the, uh, the <laughs> virus was uh, it re- it made a stress response in the plant and made the plant have to uh, fight it off. And right. in that stress response it expressed the strawberries uh, terpene. but,
4: but like wait, strawberry would that have point. anything to do with it growing together with strawberries
1: because the well, because, because the it had gene to shared, it had to share it from between from the strawberry to the to are you the, saying uh, maybe it's yeah. just like a blue spruce where it has to have a virus for it to express what it's known for
3: like having how, like how some
7: um, you know right but crazy- the strawberry
4: but that would assume then you'd just be basically saying that the virus is also responsible for strawberries the strawberry flavor yes. of
7: strawberries yeah yes yeah. I say, hey, right just but pat- we're
4: reasonably confident i think that strawberries aren't <laughs> flavored virally like that i mean <laughs> I, I, I do understand what you're saying spartan i just don't think that that's true in this
1: case maybe maybe it's uh, switches off the virus and it's beneficial wise, it's in it i have a quick question plant, but it's not so in a cannabis plant I can believe it's really it. beneficial. I can't
7: for maybe doc and uh matthew gates the uh this horizontal gene transfer thing with microbes where does that exactly take place because i could see how when they go into the plant root they get stripped of their cell walls and then they're all just hanging out there like naked where they could exchange some some stuff is that where it takes place or they don't well, know to, or is it just to be honest
3: uh horizontal gene transfer can happen a few different ways um you know like in some extreme cases Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but like there's, uh, you know, as some people maybe in ecology papers say, environmental DNA that can be taken up, you know, it's just freely floating around sometimes. I mean, of course, it degrades over time. So, but there's cases where like microbes can sometimes pick that kind of stuff up and even other microorganisms that are a little bit more than just single cellular. That's one example. Um, uh, I was going to bring up an example of... um, Uh, It was crazy. I was was watching a video about viral ecology by uh, Dr. Eric Turner. Um, And he was talking about how they found a bacteriophage that when it infests a bacteria, this is in marine environment, cyanobacteria. These cyanobacteria don't photosynthesize, except that when the bacteriophage infects the bacteria as it's multiplying inside and killing it, Uh, it actually transfers a gene that allows it to photosynthesize. So it keeps it alive for that period of time. And one, it was quoted by him, one out of every 20, I think he said, or 5%, yeah, 5% of all breasts that we take are based on this um, photosynthesis that's happening due to this bacteriophage. And there's trillions and trillions and trillions of this happening. And so it's actually causing a massive ecological effect obviously, on the earth. Um, and I just think that's really fascinating. And that's an example of horizontal gene transfer. And that's an example of viruses affecting us at an environmental level and not necessarily in like a pathogenic one. Um, so yeah, that stuff happens all the time. But uh, yeah, strawberries,
0: Isn't I think a that, certain you know, part of terpenes and... Human DNA impacted by viruses that like humans were impacted by maybe millions of years ago or thousands of years ago. Matthew, I think the formation of
3: placenta, for example.
0: Okay, so like, is it maybe too crazy to think that the plant like Spartan was talking about was grown in a strawberry field and maybe something happened that caused that DNA in that particular line to change the way it was expressing? things like that just don't happen
4: very often though i mean at one point in biological history like two organisms got together and created a cell where the the mitochondria moved inside and created a eukaryotic cell like things like that happen but like once i mean all eukaryotic life on on earth are descendants of the one time that thing happened so It just doesn't happen. You don't grow two crops together and have one of them come out smelling like the other one in a a reliable, inheritable way. Um, We grow lots of crops together all around the world all the time. And this never happens. And the one time that we have some people think that it happens (laughs) is about cannabis. It just becomes it it becomes a bit of a joke. It's claimed the same with blueberries.
0: and other things too, like cow shit. If it's grown in cow shit, it'll start to taste like cow shit. Or no, if it's grown in a blueberry probably field, it'll the taste feces. like blueberries. But, but yeah, plants. if yeah. you're actually
4: like growing it and it's in plants absorbing some of that potentially or in yeah. that yeah. in that area, this is different. This is saying Dude. that it became an inheritable part of the, the plant, that you can grow the seeds in a different continent, in different media, and it still tastes like
3: strawberries because it
0: became, uh, yeah, that. Yeah, is yeah. It, uh, uh,
3: This is actually how gene therapy, that's one example of how gene therapy could happen. Right. I just it's want to
0: give like, a little context to the situation right. too, because the, the alleged people who created it, there's a guy who calls himself Strawberry Jerry, who or was called that on the Adam nice Dunn name. show. And he was coined that name on the Adam Dunn show, but he came on to try and talk about the Strawberry Fields family. And Strawberry Fields is an indica plant, not a sativa. It was crossed to a haze. Um, and then that plant was given to Kyle Kushman. He did not breed it. But that second generation of plants still carried the strawberry smell. And I've had a third generation from that original Strawberry Fields Cross, which was Subcool and um, Kyle Cushman's Cross. I can't even remember the name. I think it was Strawberry Daiquiri. And um, it smelled and tasted very strongly of strawberries. But the thing is that there's several different varieties of strawberries now. So the strawberry taste and aroma is like varied and each person kind of uh, is impacted by it differently. But like, I gave it to somebody here in San Diego who's born and raised here. And they asked me if I put strawberries in the soil because it smelled and tasted so much of strawberries, but I don't think that it had anything to do with my cultivation. There was no strawberries in my soil. It was the genetic. It said that on the pack, right? I just popped it and grew it out and it smelled very strongly of strawberries. So um, I personally think it came from some genetic uh, like haze lineage um, that was pushed in there, but the, the Indica side of it is the weird thing to me, but th- that story it's very interesting, but I've also he- heard people say the same thing about like blueberries, for example, um, or even like they lined uh, the walls of their grow room with a blueberry essential oil to hide the smell of cannabis. And then it took on the flavor and I'm like, well, maybe, I don't know, the essential oil yeah, maybe it's because cannabis. it's a volatile, uh-huh. right?
1: So that's interesting, yeah. Jack. Are you saying that you 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 consider berries more of something you'd find in a sativa? Because I, I always thought I'd the berries more indica
7: you Certain. find everything in anything.
1: I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. But I think just in general, you know, like the blueberry and the strawberry, and those are all generally like indica to me.
7: As far as but let effects, me say, I'm
1: about effects. I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Not
7: let you know. me say this. I tell the story you left. Tonight. I, I once top dressed with roots, organic soil late, late in flower. Cause they were looking a little needy and the, the buds tasted or had the taste, the back end taste of uh, roots, organic soil. So not so much that it's, um, you know, took on the, bio, whatever, you know, you could definitely change the flavor of, and, and Steve, Breida Steve says people grow with uh, fish, fish products as they're, uh, he could always, he says he could smell it when they opened the bag. So he has, supposedly has a super nose, but that is definitely can affect your taste. And I would imagine that that blueberry essential oil got into the, got to the roots eventually and just kind of absorbed in, which I could definitely see happening
0: or even just volatilized onto the buds and got stuck right, in the right. resin it's you know great
7: arm it's i will say this stuff, the, the thing that, that. if
1: you grew a plant next to a strawberry field the terpenes that a strawberry field could potentially put off and just coat your fucking buds if the that's, timing right that's was
0: absolutely true and that that happens with other strawberries or cannabis plants with other cannabis plants that's how they communicate that's part of the reason that they make terpenes it's like hey this part of the field's getting eaten by bugs start producing more Resin of this type—that's the leading theory right now, from what I understand, with terpenes and all the research that I've looked into. So um, it's interesting. They have that, a lot of say that.
3: they have a lot of signaling um, capability, and so it actually plays a lot into like kinship theory. So, like in the uh, in the sense of like plants, right? Like if you've got like a giant field of grass, right, or 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 another plant where there's a lot of it and replicates that are very closely related to it right? you will almost a colony organism. Certainly if one of them starts to get attacked, they're going to have similar reactions to these compounds because they're similarly related, right? Their genomes are very similar. Um, now other species might have a totally different context for what we might call, I'm oversimplifying it here, like terpene words, right? These like signals that mean certain things, they'll mean totally different things to other plants too. So that's an important facet of that, but it's very fascinating to read the literature about how but basically what we're talking about happens. This is true for other organisms too, like uh, aphids, you know, they those cornicles that they'll have, those tailpipes, uh, you know, if one gets eaten, they can produce like a, a, a compound that will alert the other ones. Or it might even be like a glue like substance and it, it glues shut the uh, mandibles of the attacker. So that one dies, but the rest of the colony survives and possibly even like drops off the plant. And it's like, let's get out of here. Um, so but like the things that would have to happen would be like a microbe would have to have the gene or somehow take the the gene that's important for the biosynthesis of the terpene. Very simplified, a bunch of other things have to happen too, but it would have to go from there, go into another plant. And um, like, for example, uh, what's it called? Agrobacterium is uh, well known for doing this because that's how it, uh, it it sort of manipulates the immune system. Uh, It's able to, put its own uh, DNA in there and change the way that the cells uh, reproduce and um, also allow it to take up the resources of the plant, parasitize it. And that's how you get those big old galls, those, um, which actually does happen in cannabis and a bunch of other plants. So another reason to sterilize your stuff. Um, but like we've also taken that um, uh, system and we've used it and that's how people use it for studying uh, genes and plants by using uh, this this system that exists in in nature. So very fascinating stuff. I love it.
0: I just have to laugh because you said hit that thumbs up or Matthew will send aphids to your garden. Which <laughs> just made me laugh. Not true. Not funny.
3: <laughs> yeah you better yeah I know I know a few colonies out there. You better be careful. I have aphids in every city.
0: There's a manga called Naruto, or it's a TV show, I guess, too, but there's a character in it who can, like, control bugs. So I just, like, imagine that, like, somebody, like, you know, using, like, force senses to, like, send bugs to somebody's garden.
3: They live inside that character, actually. It's it's pretty hellish, if you ask me. That's a terrible way to live. (laughs) Anyways.
0: It's definitely an uh, interesting character, but um, back to growing, for sure. I just wanted to shout out Brandon's uh, suggestion of combining the amino N plus with the micro plus, because when I did that, I was talking about how I uh, reamended some soil for some solo cups. And after I watered that in within the first day, I started seeing like a healthy, in my opinion, mycelial bloom across the top of the soil. And very shortly after that, the seed started sprouting up and everything's looking happy and healthy. So... Um, I'm happy that I did it all in the same watering and just saved myself a little time and effort and it worked effectively, so cheers to that. And the soil, it's funny how quick like a dead dry soil can go back to smelling like a rich, like healthy soil with inoculation and watering and some good worm castings. And a little bokashi as well. Anybody else? uh, Doc, I know you're having the New Year's Grow Challenge. Uh, Some of the guys this morning were joking that maybe you haven't even made your journal yet. Is that true? And are you, are you participating in the grow challenge? And if so, what have you popped?
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I have popped. I got my four plants. Um, you know, three of them are doing really well. Um, it's the new England raw candies that the, it has just been a weird little seedling from day one, but I do have my four, my four plants they're doing. Well, three of them are doing really well. Um, I was organizing some pictures earlier today. I put too much pressure on myself about these stupid journals. I just need to like start something and just like put a sentence up every other day or something because I put all this pressure to like make like these nice journal posts and then they never get done. Um, But no, I'm definitely growing in the NYGC and I fully intend to um, have a journal here shortly. I'm working on it.
0: That's how I feel as well. Like I've started just taking pictures so that I know I can go back and maybe at least once a week Give a little update and say like this is where I'm yeah. at. But, yeah,
4: I did something really cool actually the the first few days, and I wanted to I wanted to talk about it and and show it, um, but that's what kind of held me back. I got a little uh, LED sample board, and it's just got like fifty diodes on it, and you can turn on different sets of diodes. So I hit all my seedlings with all the red light I could give them off of this uh, little sample board, like, I don't know, eight far red diodes and like 16 or 20 uh, 660 nanometer diodes. And the damn things grew like two inches overnight. Um, Little seedlings like stretch like they stretched like they needed light, but they didn't. Um, it was really fascinating for me to see. So I got, I got cool pictures of that and you can see sort of the results. You can see the little red lights on the, the little diode board. Uh, you can see the plants react to it in like 12 hours. Um, so I ended up taking the light off of them because I didn't want them to be like, you know, six foot tall plants with just cotyledons on the top and, uh, potted up and now they're really healthy. I think that, I think, you know, Plants like some red light to get going. I think I might've uh, overdone it by a touch, but. Um, what kind of PPFD
0: were they getting? Did you say? What's that? What kind of PPFD were they getting with of that red light?
4: You know, I measured the Epar and I was only giving them those first few days um, between 200 and 250 Epar, um, which is enough for seedlings. And it's enough to keep them from, from stretching like they did. Um, I didn't also measure the par to sort of tear out how much of that was the far red light and I thought about that later I'm like I should have measured the par too so I could figure out what the difference was in terms of how much um far red was included but I can measure that little board later I mean I know what the what switches I had on the board so I, I will sort of try to measure just the the board and see what the the combined amount of of far red light that was coming off of it or of all the red light, 660 nanometers and up.
0: It's interesting because I'm giving like 180 PPFD to my seedlings, and it's mostly like a lot of, in the bluer spectrum, it's 4K, and um, they're staying pretty stout and uh, squat. So yep. I'm, it's always just, uh, interesting to see the different spectrums and the impacts that they have on.
4: It happens, so this this happens above and, and below too. The far red light um, generates stem elongation and root growth, um, so the lack of it and that's why you you sort of want it for seedlings more to to get them established well with good roots um you don't really want them to stretch quite as much as mine did although they didn't fall over i mean i was happy i had like a five inch tall little seedling that that was supporting itself perfectly fine um i was just impressed i didn't expect the the results to be quite so sort of dramatic on,
0: on adding that I always um, just to be careful. I always plant the um, solo cups about halfway full. And then I try to usually keep the light pretty dim because I've once or twice fried my seedlings by giving them too much light too early. And yeah. um, so I'd rather go easy on them and kind of let them get a little bit leggy and then just fill that solo cup back in after they've kind of gotten a little bit of a root mass. It's but, the uh, only
4: time during the whole grow that I use my, my sensors on my own plants. Um, people always ask me like about doing sensors for like in their tents and stuff. I'm like, I never even do that, but I do break out the, the PAR and the EPAR sensor for, for seedlings. Cause you can really tune that light right in for them and figure out how far away to hit it and all the rest of that.
0: Yeah. I've just decided because my cabinet is so small for my veg space that I just use the dimmer and I always just use yeah. the, um, sensor and then set it to the desired, I guess, PPFD. And um, it's super nice to be able to know where you're at in that moment.
4: Yeah, but by the time they get into like the tent or by the time they get into final containers, really, I'm just going to go based on how the light performs in that space, Um, you know, based on par testing that I've done with the lights. Or rather than trying to get my sensor in above the plants in a, in a tent, which is actually a really tough place to try to, to measure light. But I totally agree. It's helpful during seedlings. And I was able to make sure that I was providing them enough light that they weren't stretching just because of sort of lack of light to, to have a better idea of what the, the red light was doing to them. Um, I just
0: wanted to ask about your New England rock candy. Um, if the other seeds are about the same age or if they're any newer, because like I popped my F2s next to my F3s and the F2s are almost exactly one year older than my um, F3s. Mm-hmm. And so when I popped them last year, when I popped the F2s, when they were fresh, they were super vigorous, amazing. I've kept them in 60 degrees, which I think is perfectly fine to in cool, dark place, whatever. And the F3s this time were very vigorous, 100% germination. The F2s were like, 90s germination, but the tails weren't as long when they sprouted they were like just barely cracking while the other ones had like maybe a few millimeters of Uh the tail and i'm just wondering if the three other seeds that you popped were maybe newer than the new england rock candy by any chance
4: no unfortunately the opposite the new england rock candy seeds are the newest of the group um and you know it was So, uh, people, I've done a video on my germination strategy, so a lot of people know exactly what I do. I soak seeds for a few hours, and I put them in in towels, usually just for 24 hours from the time that they started. And 24 to 36 hours, they've got a, a good root on them, and they're ready to go into jiffies um three of them were really ready to go into jiffies and the new england rock candies had cracked open it was sort of like showing its tail but you know it was still at that stage where it was just sort of like showing its tail it wasn't actually growing its tail much um but since i was doing the other three i did i just wanted to do them all at once and not keep that one i figured it would be fine um the other three started growing from the moment i put them into the jiffy pellets but the new england rock candies was like a little bit lower needed to grow its root first. So it took another 3 days before the it even started growing up and it shucked its seed on the way out. For for actually a day I was worried about it I was like I don't know if this thing's going to grow or not. When it shucked its seed on the way up it just didn't look right. Like the cotyledons I, I don't know. The the first leaves are coming in on it now and the first leaves look like maybe they're going to be normal. Um the cotyledons were were not normal and really i think i'd have to break out the microscope to understand what happened to them i I thought it might be almost like a tricot um because one of the the cotyledon leaves looked like there were two leaves and one of them was like shriveled or, or something i couldn't figure out if it was part of the seed casing but it still looks funky kind of a few days later so it might be a genetic anomaly or something um, is it's kind of the direction I'm leaning in now we'll see how it how it develops, but it is like growing at least. I was sort of it was it was weird looking. So those are my plans. Uh, more people are asking about my journal. <laughs> I really got it. It's bad form, I guess, to start a grow challenge and invite a bunch of people to grow with you and then not start your journal. So I'm on it guys. I I promise you.
1: (laughs) They're giving you some crap in chat. I saw. Oh God,
4: they are totally giving me crap, but this is sort of part of the ongoing pattern that I've had for the last couple of days. You know, I used to keep really good grow journals. Um, And for people that have only met me in like the last year or two probably have, no idea that that's a valid statement for me to make, but I used to spend a lot of time on them too. And it just, I, I feel like I'm busy with other things on the website and stuff. It's just, it's weird. It feels almost greedy to take time that I should be working on a project and, and spend it on my own journal. Even though that apparently is the content that a lot of the people want, want to see. So I gotta keep that in mind.
0: Gotta find that balance. It's, I wanted to ask a question about just for anybody out there who's popped seeds in general, or even recently, um, the, the sort of shell head question and, and um, thoughts. I heard a little on the Michigan bros grow show, people talking about like how to remove the shell if you get stuck on the seedling yep. and uh, sequence made the comment, if you plant it upside down and like a little deeper that it won't come up with the shell head. So I tried that on all my seedlings this time and uh, sequence, like I gotta say, I think it's genetic a little bit because I planted them exactly how it it described. Longer, I, they still came up and it did take longer and they. They came up slower and some of them still had shells stuck on their head. So I I did what I always do, which is I spritz them a little bit with water, support with my two fingers on the stem. And then the other hand, I usually use my finger and thumb and like, I actually had to like crack the one seed, like it was stuck on there so much. I knew it wouldn't have come off. The plant would have just struggled and ended up dying. So I had to release two of like the 20 that I popped, but. i
4: I pop helmets all the time and as long as you're i think the answer to that question is carefully just to be very careful don't go yanking on it like you said jack put your two fingers on the little stem because if you just go yanking on it you'll yank that whole sprout out of the media that it's growing and it doesn't have like you know its roots well anchored into anything at that point um but yeah take it off they really appreciate it when you take it off because they are literally struggling with that so i agree with spreading it Um, being careful holding the stem all of that but don't be afraid to do it
0: and then get that little sometimes there's like a little gunky thing that you could see even after you get the shell off it'll have a little membrane keeping it shut you could just kind of like slowly peel it away if your fingernails or whatever you have just uh you got to be very very gentle though and uh, you could finally see those leaves the cotyledons initially start to open up but um Anybody else pop anything recently? I know the American one you were talking about recently, you've got some seeds popping, but I know uh, a lot of people here are probably throwing some seeds down for the new year.
7: I did. I haven't. No, not for the new year. I have all old ones now, but um, yeah, I got a whole plethora of on deck ridiculousness.
0: It's nice to have some heat in the on deck circle. Brandon, would you just throw down?
5: Humboldt seed company, blueberry muffin. And then uh, SFV Genetics, um, Blueberry Mac Muffin, which is Blueberry Muffin times Mac. And then I threw down some Blueberry Train Mac, which I made, which is Trainwreck Blueberry MK Ultra times Mac. Um, And then uh, I threw in a couple of Contagion. From a breeder out here in Oklahoma, Mick from Concentrated Genetics, and it's uh orange flambe times 12 monkeys, and then I, I also did some gas v2, which is a cut of gas that of capulator that I crossed to Mac V2, and then I F2 that and I'm running this out, and I plan on Hopefully if I some, find something good, I have a starfighter male an original from original starfighter seeds from uh, alien genetics. And I have two female starfighter plants that I'll be flowering out in about, I don't know, three weeks or so. So we'll, we'll see what they look like. And I'm already working on them. Um, I'm going to do a Black line Reserve starfighter cross with my Star, starfighter male. See, see what comes out of that.
0: Sounds fire. There's been a lot of really great stuff that's come out of the Starfire or Starfighter. And I wanted to also say Humboldt Seed Company, they've just bred amazing shit. If you watch Nat's videos and the places that they've been doing pheno hunts and the amazing that they've been pulling out and then able to breed them uh, into packs that people are finding really killer shit in, he's just like, I think that dude's on another level. Um, he's really absolutely, in my opinion, killing the game and uh, cannabis breeding. So I think you're probably going to enjoy that uh, blueberry muffin. And I've got some of his like garlic butter. It's like a GMO cross and another one that uh Sungrown 707 gifted to me very generously on my honeymoon. So that'll probably be my next to pop with some of Brandon's gear. I was, uh I just took down some of Brandon's gear, that, fino you
1: know, of of uh, limelight. And I, this is kind of big news. If, uh, so I got to obviously dry cure and trim it after it dries, but i'm taking some into uh work i got to go ahead from the owner and he i'm taking him a sample and if he likes it uh the rest of the pack will be fetal hunting at work so we might find something to to run at work that'd be cool to have a whole room of it um i'm excited about that and then um i did pop just two seeds of i was gifted on christmas from bakes Pone. shout out to him he gifted me a pack of seeds named russell which is my name russell so uh spelled the same and everything so uh and which is a pretty sweet cross it's like a back cross of it's like a jack a bx uh jack career times a, a bx uh, chem chem dog so so i threw a couple of those down and they're going and i don't they're regs so if i get a mail i'll probably save that to work into bliss the bliss bud project and uh, obviously if it's female, I
0: just want to see what that's like. It sounds awesome. I'd say it's probably a pretty crazy high. Um, I will say that Kem uh, can have some propensity to hermy, especially if, I don't know, the back crossing, how that affects it. And Jack Herrera, if you know about anything about Cinderella 99, uh, came from a backseat of Jack Herrera. So there is a little bit of a propensity in there as well. So make sure to look for those uh, early balls sometimes with uh, some of those crosses.
1: Yeah, I'm always looking. I've got a big old sign on the outside of my flower room that says ladies only. So it's always there to remind me.
0: I think mine says like stop and smell the flowers or something above. My wife got it for me. But yeah, it's always good to have signs to remind you of those things, right?
3: As a gift, I received some seeds actually. I'd be curious to get your guys' impressions on some of these names. Um, I got a a Blue Dream and DMT cross supposedly uh, Casey Jones. And... Who are they
0: from? Does it say, is there is a breeder included or is this a gift? From these somebody? two
3: are not that way. I think this, these were actually crossed by the person themselves. Uh, the Casey Jones and the orange OG and the It doesn't make it any D&T. less special.
0: Just, I want to put oh, that no. there. I'm no, not no, like, no. Uh, looking down on it, but I think it's cool no. nonetheless.
3: <laughs> I know, but some of them do actually have, uh, are attached <laughs> to a name. So for example, from, um, from TR seeds, uh, this is called Cherubro or cerebro cerebro haze which is a brain og and tom hills haze cross uh another one is a griselda they call it griselda blanco which is oh man
0: a, i love that it's a great strain
3: oh yeah this is mob boss d and tom hills haze
0: yeah it's a also super sativa too, right? my um buddy jack actually grew it and my we almost named my cat griselda blanco she's actually a like a, <laughs> a coke dealer so we ended up not naming our cat after like a <laughs> cocaine dealer but that strain in particular sometimes it's called colombian jack and um it's like a really really heady sativa um and it gets these like it genetic fox tailing like i would call it um like a really fingery it almost looks like the grinspoon but not as bad and it's just a great high it's got almost like an apple like a green apple flavor to it and um the pheno that my buddy had for a long time was just killer killer smoke
3: that's a that's very endearing. I'm glad to hear that. I have uh, two other or three others. Um Buckeye Purple F2BX1. That's it. For Melvin tells me. Well, like yes that's film, correct. That's the sports,
1: correct. The sports fan of me would tell you to throw that one away. But uh I've heard not, <laughs> I've heard lots of good things about that. So I'm not gonna talk shit on it. I haven't had it myself.
0: It's so By good it may have allegedly been knocked off. The the buckeyes are from Ohio and he's a Spartan. Oh uh, Michigan I, and Ohio are not big uh buddies. In Ohio, they actually say the state up north. They won't even refer to Michigan as a state. They just (laughs) refer to it as the state up north because they hate it so much. But then they kicked their ass for like 20 years in football, at least like the Wolverines. And then nobody really cared about the rivalry anymore. It was like they're worried about other teams, I guess, like Alabama and bigger schools. Uh, Because when you win 20 years in a row, or like it's like 19 to 1. It doesn't seem like as much of a rivalry, but I guess there's a history. of it, So people <laughs> still care a lot. I, I don't care. Actually. I really don't give a shit about college sports. I'm more into the growing side of things, but it's funny to see the people get riled up. And I think uh, Michigan versus Michigan was a good game this year. I actually caught that one live. So it's, it's cool. I think the, I think the army Navy game
3: has been like Navy wins like the last six years or something like that. Yeah. I have, um, Oh, were you going to say something Spartan about that rivalry?
1: I was just going to mention Michigan state tends to win those in the modern days and uh, Michigan state did win this year in football. And interestingly enough, they were supposed to play in basketball on Saturday, but one team backed out with whatever they had some restrictions or whatever that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't feel the team or whatever, but they were scared to play, I guess, again,
0: (laughs) it was a close game there in football though. Wasn't it like a three point game or like a last drive or something? I remember it was just like extremely close this year in football. Or um, alienating have, in the audience, I think. I have two more.
3: I have two more here from uh, Tough Nut Seeds. That's spelled with uh, two T's at the end of nut and two T's at the end of tough. This is El Chapo, which is born killer and Death by Chocolate, which uh, sounds like a great name.
1: Oh, Death by
0: Chocolate sounds amazing. house hunting for yeah. that chocolate, so hopefully you uh, find some and maybe he can get a, a plant packer with a cut.
3: This is from Bodhi Seeds. Apparently, this is Lazy Lightning, which Ooh, is like headband LF and. Oh no,
0: eight, eight G thirteen hash
3: thirteen HP. Yeah, it's because it was uh, it was the label was. <laughs> it's
0: bisected. folded over the top. Yeah. So. Yeah, the Bodie packs are like easy. that. Start oh, I Start that see.
7: chocolate ones, Matthew. That's my advice. The El Chapo. Okay.
0: The um eighty eight G thirteen hash plant crosses um have been good in my experience. That was actually one of the first plants I grew at the delivery service I was working at. The guy, like I was saying, we worked with Green Bodie and um, Bodie Seeds actually they've worked together in the past and have collaborated and grow each other's gear and stuff like that but uh that lazy lightning is a- another good one it's like a pretty hybrid i would say a uh, good smoke though
3: i'll just say this i owe it to to brandon to uh probably start his stuff first which i still actually have um locked away in my seed vault uh, i do agree with most people when it comes to seeds that uh if you never use them it's kind of a waste right So I'll try to you have
5: you have some of the oldest stuff that I made locked away in your which I am
3: honestly, honestly grateful and felt great honor when you bestowed them upon me because I especially nowadays, especially knowing um, you know, like I like I've said before, sometimes like I like if I like something, whether it's a food or whatever, you know, uh sometimes I feel like you know, I need to, I don't know how my particular taste is like other people's, but um, especially that death breath and especially the um, the lime, the black lime reserve, I'm a particular fan of. You also gave me some, I remember, that had, a, that were quite large. Do you remember that? Um, I think most, most of the
5: stuff that I was growing at that time was a Gorilla Glue, uh, the limarilla, and
3: yeah, I think it was the limarilla, yeah, that I was thinking of. They're really nice. I like that. It's one of my favorites.
1: But
0: you had um, some MK Ultra of... crosses and stuff too. I think that uh, you've been given out earlier before you left Oklahoma. I got a couple of those, like TK, um, or maybe that might have been after. I don't know.
5: Yeah, I have a bunch of that old. Yeah, I actually got those when I first got out to Oklahoma those mk ultra crosses from like there's some super silver haze ones too it was in between 99 i think in 2003 that all those things were made but my friend gave me a big ass bag of seeds it had a few thousand seeds in it and it had a bunch of different stuff in there i still have a bunch of that stuff
0: speaking of seeds i actually want to pass it over to kyle breeder uh because he said that he has to get going at the hour and i want to give him an opportunity to jump in and uh, give his final thoughts and shout out
2: uh, thanks Jack. Uh, well, I guess first off, I feel horrible that MJ had a bad experience. So if you need some fresh stock, I do have some that I put away.
4: Um, oh no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Not a bad experience yet. It's, it's just an experience with growing. I'm hoping to make the plant turn into a little champion. So it's too early to tell seedlings can be strange sometimes. So yeah. stay tuned for the next update, but it's certainly not your fault. I didn't want to like throw any shade back in your direction on that.
2: Yeah. I just, I just felt bad, but, um, um, yeah, so I have to, just, I guess to make it real quick, uh, an update. Um, and I guess not just to be fully transparent, because like, whatever, you know, a lot of people knew um, that there's a chance I was going to Oklahoma. Uh, that's not happening. Uh, just I have some personal matters that are keeping me here in the States. I'm, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, so in the meantime, though, I am applying for a, camp, uh, a residential cultivation license, which they have up in Massachusetts, which is really awesome. So I'm going to kind of do my own thing up here. Um, so that's really exciting. I also have a a uh, new auto flower line launching um that should be happening it's gonna be a while from that maybe like six months from now but uh so that's gonna be pretty cool trying to try and get into that side of the market um i don't know if i mentioned this i think i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago but i have uh i had sent mr soul from brothers Grimm uh the true new england Rock candy cut so we're gonna be doing a collaboration together um that's gonna be a ways away because we want to get that line kind of worked uh whatever so that's kind of cool but um Yeah, just a bunch of random stuff going on. Just uh, haven't really updated you guys on anything on what's going on. Just been kind of keeping it to myself. But uh, some really cool things coming up in the woodwork. Um, And uh, yeah, just happy to be here. If anyone's looking for Feminized Seeds, uh, purebreeding.com. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, Pure underscore breeding on Instagram. And uh, yeah, um, good seeing you guys. And uh, I'll see you guys next week.
0: Peace out, Kyle. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, have Peace a great
6: out, week. Good night, Kyle. Good night, Better Kyle. Later, man.
0: got people in the chat growing some fire. Some people got some of uh, Brandon's gear going. Got somebody growing some Brunt's crosses. Uh, I actually like Runtz, as funny as the hype around it might be. But uh, it's actually, good, I actually do too. Good flavor. Uh, good high. At least
5: the crosses that I've smoked so far have been pretty
0: good. I can't complain like I've only had good examples of it so it's hard to hate on something when you get like very good can like if somebody just only gives you great examples of a product I'm just not going to shit talk it cuz I'm honest like it was good
1: I I'm excited I got a, I brought in a cut of we'll put the air quotes around it sour diesel east coast sour diesel too we'll see it's supposed to be legit so we'll see CSD
5: east coast sour d and then also a cut of that East Coast Sour D cross to White Widow. And man, right. it was it was so nice. It had and it would hit consistently around like 26, 27% THC. It was a great cut. I wish I still had it.
1: I also got a uh what, what do they call it? It's called it was a cross. I could tell you what the cross is. It was a tiki man man cross. I think he called it it's not pirate milk, but it's something. No, it's cobra milk, is the name of the strain, and it's cereal milk cross to jealousy and um what i'm seeing on the plant is that it's uh, like a nice short stout plant so
0: i like that shit so i'm excited for both of those i just had something cross to jealousy last night i wish i could remember what strain it was it was delicious though so cheers to you on that um and i looked up what jealousy was and now i can't remember what the strain is because newer strains like it's hard to commit them to memory there's so many different ones out there that like it has oh, to be around that. for a while for me to like you know, the certain ones stick, and then you remember those. And uh, there's just it's a ton to try and commit them all to memory. I think it's impossible at this point.
1: Yeah, I'm also fucking around with those autos. Those I, I can remember as it's, it's trizzlers is what they call it, and it's uh, watermelon Skittles crossed to their tricks. The tricks is their auto side of it, and the watermelon Skittles is the photo period side. So I'm excited for that. See what kind of be like fruity turps I'm, I'm expecting. I watered them with just a recharge. It was funny because I didn't, I was like, oh, this is salts. So I don't want to find I've hit them with anything right now, this early they They had like one set of leaves, maybe two. So I just uh, mixed up some recharge and hit him with that and straight cocoa. And they fucking loved it. They jumped out of there. They'd like another set of leaves when I checked them today.
5: One of the things that I, I'm going to be, uh, experimenting with is the Kiaha, which is, uh, you know, it's a soap bark, uh, extract essentially. Kind of like in the Q have, stuff. Yeah. The Kiaha. And it, uh, has a lot of, uh, saponins in it. And so what it's supposed to help do is, um, you know, it decreases the, the water tension and it's yeah. supposed to also help um, nutrient gradients kind of even out in the soil to help them move from, you know, higher to lower concentration so that it's, you know, so that the nutrients are kind of the in solution, that are in solution are more spread out evenly, evenly distributed.
1: Have you looked into soap nuts for the same properties, but probably maybe a cheaper option or, you know, more? available option maybe something that's Um, a really really full of saponins this
5: was this was given to me so it wasn't something that i i purchased and so um and and then i read some of the the science on it too which sounded pretty promising i
0: had a question brandon you might be uh have some insight on this and i'll throw it out to anybody on the panel i guess Uh, i think it's eric i or eric l says Jack Greenstock, have you heard, or have heard a couple breeders mention the importance of boron when making seeds? Can the panel give us good sources of boron and amount to use? I'm not really clued in on this. I haven't paid too much attention to it. And uh, so I want to pass that to Brandon first and maybe anybody else can jump in after that.
5: So when it comes to how much you use, I base that off of the data that I get off off from um, soil in saturated paste that's the only way i can really measure boron um the thing is you don't need very much boron is a uh, like if in the source that i use is solubor which is uh, bor- uh, boron sulfate and then there's also borax you could use borax as well
7: yeah.
5: um but again, you don't need a lot, and you could really overdo it. Really What's not quickly. a lot?
0: Like how, okay, how many? So
5: well, here's the right. Rec- Usually, when I see somebody that if they don't have a deficient amount, but they want to keep, I'm um, keeping it at a target level. I'll oftentimes do about one third of a teaspoon per yard of soil. Okay. So yeah. You don't need much, and it's all, it's like that for a lot of the uh the micronutrients like yeah. copper yeah. sulfate. You're only use probably a maximum of maybe three and a half, maybe three and three quarters teaspoons per whole yard of soil.
1: But the in the question, Brandon, they're kind of specifically saying for like seed production. Do you have you noticed anything or seen anything like if you have a seeded plant or you know, a pollinated plant that it requires more boron than what you normally would want, or, or is it you just much want to maintain
5: same? sufficient levels throughout the cycle and the plant is of going everything as long yeah. as you maintain the, the sufficiency levels, it's going to be able to do all of the processes that it needs to complete its life cycle in its
7: entirety. But from, from what I understood, oftentimes boron either deficiency or uh uh yeah it's not it's not because it's not there, it's because it's, for some reason the plant can't uptake it is from what I understood from my you know readings. And they're saying pH uh, has a lot to do with it and under-over-watering can cause borne to be not taken up as good as it could be. So that, like just everything, like with everything, just make sure, try to get everything on point and you should be all right. I, I dial mean, that shit in. in. In the organic systems and the organic
5: soils that myself and then all the people that I work with use, I hardly ever see uh, boron deficiency. I I mean, I'm not often having them add um, a boron source because typically there's enough of it in the soil and organic matter that's um, being released.
0: Potenponix says to watch out for kelp. He says, uh, too much kelp. The first thing you overdose on is boron. So... The more you know. No,
5: no, the the word that's not actually sodium. No, it's going to be sodium chloride and arsenic, actually.
0: I guess it yep. depends on the kelp source on the arsenic because that's what i actually have for.
5: Um, I actually have a complete list of all of the, you know, kelp meals, alfalfa meals, rock phosphates, different brands, how much arsenic they contain, how much sodium, how much chloride, how much cadmium. I have like a whole a whole chart and i'm telling you that's the number one culprit when people start failing for heavy metals is usually kelp over application of kelp you'd need uh dude i mean i don't even use kelp just because i'm not going to take a risk because i'm growing and getting things tested and i'm in a you know medical state so i don't even use kelp man to be honest
0: i don't think it's needed but it does provide like a lot of uh things and A small package i guess (laughs) there's like a ton of micronutrients that it takes up right so that's why some people like kelp but uh if you can overdoing it it has problems
7: every now and again right it has it does have a lot
5: of biological stimulating properties but i think that you know you have to look at the pros and cons
0: Tao asked about azomite i don't know if you heard that question come through
5: surprisingly the azomite wasn't very high in uh heavy metals but when i was looking i was actually looking at this thing today so i remember some of the stuff i was looking at um but it can be high in aluminum and so you have to be you have to be careful about that because aluminum reacts with hydroxyl groups and uh it can interfere with the uh, cation exchange capacity of soil
7: I almost think that like, um, you know, everybody says you like use like half strength on the salt nutrients, you'd probably be all right. I, I p- kind of believe that even with the organic stuff, if you use less, less is more and you, mm-hmm. you won't have that dangers of all the heavy metals. and L- heavy Less is others. more,
5: especially when you know, right? If you know right. how much you oh, need yeah. to apply, you know how much potassium you're going to need. You, you know, cannabis is is a heavy feeder of nitrogen, potassium and calcium. Those are three major nutrients they're going to go through and often not often i'm going to say every single time when i start with a new consult their potassium is always an issue it's always super low and that mess that interferes with the the balance in the soil as far as a what's called base saturation so the way things diffuse into um Into solution in an available form when they diffuse from like organic matter surfaces or clay colloids. So um, you have to have adequate supply of potassium, but the the less is more approach is like looking at it and not overing apply, meeting target levels, and and also applying when you're, when it's needed, where it's needed. Cause you take that approach, like you want to test at the beginning of a run, right? You want to get your soil adequate for that run and you want to kind of preload everything. You know, you get your stuff planted and you test a couple of times throughout the cycle, you know, that way you don't ever run into deficiency systems. You know, you know, you know what you need to add. If you, if you test like right, you know, two weeks into flower and your tests come back and your potassium's low, you know, you can add that. And you're going to add enough in a sufficient quantity to get you the rest of the way through that cycle. So that way you can do it again and you can complete that cycle over and over again. And you're not always going to be adding the same thing. You know, sometimes you might be adjusting the pH and adding a little calcium, maybe some micronutrients. Sometimes you might just be throwing in a little bit of nitrogen. It just always depends on what the data says and that's the reason why i like to use the single mineral inputs because i can add just iron if i need to add just iron and i'll have to add something that has everything in it you know and i can address you know an issue with the remedy that is that'll fix an issue
1: It It certainly helps control like hydroponically, you know, like, well, hydroponically, you can pick almost single nutrient additions to fix a problem without making an imbalance somewhere else, where that's the big struggle in organics is when you start putting organic inputs in, it's usually a a multitude of of, minerals that are being added. It's not usually one source.
5: Well, that's what they, you know, that's what they do with the nutrients and that's why they'll have like two or three parts. Some of them you can add, you know, you, and you'll mix those together, but if you're, if you think about it, what those companies, you can't address a specific issue. Usually if you um, are using a two-part hydroponic solution, for instance, one that has macronutrients and one that maybe has your micronutrients and like calcium and magnesium or something like that. Right, because those things are specific to that solution, and if you only need, you know, calcium, but you're adding CalMag, you're interfering with that balance and the way those things are gonna be taken up. Because more uh, magnesium will push off the potassium and the potassium, and then the plant may not be getting the potassium that it needs, and the potassium is really going to in. En- you know potassium that that molecule is responsible for the opening and closing of the guard cells in the stomata and so if you lack potassium you're essentially um you're slowing down this system greatly and the ability for the plant to transpire uh water vapor
4: from its stomata and uh yeah, these are the issues with, with us. All, but I, I just wanted to say something about sort of the difference with hydroponic isn't that you add things individually so much as it's that you can always keep everything in the right ratio. Um, you just add fresh solution. Um, it's really the ratios that are important. I think Brandon would agree with that. That's the issue with the calcium and magnesium and potassium issue is they'll all be uptaken similarly. And if they're out of out of range with each other if you have too much of one and not enough of the others then you just will get too much of one and not enough of the others in uptake um so those are three elements that are really important to keep balanced and when they get out of balance in an amended system it it requires knowledge and and sort
1: of sodium
5: too a good plan if you bring in that sodium too because that's a major uh, cation too and so if you have a nutrient solution that's running your plants are pulling from that nutrient solution, but they're not using that sodium that's in solution. Then the longer period goes by that sodium builds up, but, and then you're not going to be able to absorb the calcium, the magnesium and the, and the um, potassium.
4: Yeah. That's a separate process, but it is an antagonistic relationship exactly with sodium too. All of those things need to be kept in balance. Um, And what you're basically talking about is sort of restoring the balance or maintaining that balance um, as the plant uses different things within the mix. Um, It's just a different approach with with hydroponics. We always just sort of create the full mix that is balanced and provide that to the plants. It's not sort of readjusting it as it gets out of balance. Um, I really think that those are like the, the biggest conceptual differences between Managing fertilization in those two different styles of growing. I don't. I don't see a lot of
5: people in hydroponics doing things like uh, uh, tissue or sap analysis because they could be addressing symptoms um, not based off of visual, but based off of the data before they become a visual symptom. So they could uh, essentially be acting preemptively. And if they were using even a hydroponic nutrient, because there's a lot of things that you can get that are single source. You know, if you just needed iron. And you saw, oh, my iron is low, and that's why these plants aren't photosynthesizing as well. Or my molybdenum, my li- molybdenum is too low, and it's not creating that enzymatic pathway for the nitrate reduction. Then you know that then photosynthesis is low. too low
4: in what? You
5: know, too, so if too you low can in just, your
4: nutrient mix. I mean,
5: yeah. So there's different ways that you could go uh, go about right.
4: in a hydroponic system adding a single source. Just yeah, I agree, but we address. always mix it all together. We're not adding it after we've already, after the plants are already sort of been exposed to it. Um, there are some RDWC people that, that do that, that sort of top off with different mixes to try to restore the nutrient element ratio. But in a hydroponic setup, almost all of them, we're going to create the, the correct nutrient element ratio in our water and then provide that water to the plants. Um, so w- we set the nutrient element ratio and some things come as, you know, standalone individual items like silica, for example. Um, a lot of things come in, in blends. Um, we mix them all together, create the appropriate nutrient element ratio and feed it all to our plants. In an amended grow you're exhausting certain things in different rates as you move through the grow. And with top dressing, you're essentially trying to restore the the nutrient element ratio. So restore some of the iron that was taken out of the system or restore some of the calcium or nitrogen or whatever it is that is now out of balance and needs to be sort of brought back up. Um, There's not really a similar situation to that in hydroponics. We just mix new solution that has the right ratio we're never at a situation where we're like we don't have enough iron in the plants or something um we might decide to make a different fertigation blend that had more iron in it um but it's just it's it it occurs at a different stage of the process and it occurs before the plants are exposed to it what i'm saying is most companies don't offer single
5: solutions like if you needed to just increase iron. Or if you just needed to increase one thing,
4: I know that they
0: nutrients raw nutrient. Trying balance
5: them, just like because they
4: have the to stay in balance, and and you generally get those micronutrients already in uh, the appropriate balance. Um, you know, there are some people that with makes data, their own own um, well, you know solution from from my perspective
5: though. When I'm looking at data, I, I know that different varieties of cannabis have different. Um, target demands for nutritional needs. And so just like I would, um, you know, if I was doing, uh, you know, death breath versus something like SFVOG, I I would know that the nutritional requirement is going to be different and I can, uh, treat it as so. If you're just, if you you don't have the ability to do that, it was going to be different
4: or just the quantity is going to be different because I, I I'm, I'm not sure that I would be able to agree with you in terms of them, each individually requiring a different ratio but i could certainly agree with you in terms of them requiring different quantities they, is they that not the same them. thing no ratio refers to a relationship between like how much calcium and how much magnesium there is and oh i see that, that yeah, ratio changes the quantity it changes the ratio so they're interconnected if you well, change the quantity saying, of one or the other of them, yeah, it changes the ratio. One so thing that plants. different plants require different ratios. Yeah. So when you change the um, when you I change the
5: yeah the balance of calcium. Let's say you push calcium, it's going to change the base saturation percentage, right? So calcium, as a total percentage of what falls into the solution, will be higher than magnesium potassium if you push potassium higher you'll change that you'll change that percentage you're talking about you're
4: talking about a different level of the system you're not you're not talking about the the ratios that the plants are exposed to as much as you're talking about sort of the ratios of the elements in the soil themselves
5: no no i'm talking about what 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 falls into solution that's usable for plant in 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 the form that's metabolically available that's what we're measuring we're measuring both what's total in soil and then what diffuses into solution
4: right
3: i um it, i i thought of it like as like 100 percent of inputs and so like if your recipe for one cultivar is like 20 percent of this and 50 percent of this whatever and then you know for another cultivar there what they, what it, what it wants or what it performs best for what you want will be different So if you increase or decrease, don't you increase or decrease those percentages, which is what I was interpreting to mean ratio.
4: You would increase the raw dosages potentially. Yeah, that's what
3: I interpreted it generously perhaps.
4: But you don't change the, there's two separate sides to this. There's the, the proportions and the quantities, right? Well, you have to
5: increase the quantity to be able to decrease the percentage uh, as a whole in tissue as well, because those are correlated as well. Cause you can also take the tissue data to see how much of what you're adding is becoming available as a percentage in tissue. And you could do that in, uh, you can do this in hydroponics. That's what I'm saying. You could see, like, if right. you know the target level is uh, 5% for your veg plants, right? Right. When you flip, And you're at like two and a half in your hydro and you're then, you know, it's hard to address with just calcium because usually it's like a CalMag product. So if you just want needed to add calcium, you could use something like uh, calcium chloride, for instance, right? No, but
4: that's dangerous, Brandon. That's exactly my point. The plant doesn't do a good job of distinguishing between calcium and magnesium. So, oh,
3: you meant in relation to other. Okay. Yeah. No, no I understand. Can't, what
4: you mean. can't essentially tell the difference. Magnesium mimics calcium. So, if there's too much magnesium in the solution and not enough calcium, the plant will just absorb more more magnesium and it will develop a calcium deficiency. Even if there's enough total amount of calcium, but because there's a larger ratio of magnesium, the plant will end up absorbing more magnesium and creating. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. You, you increase so those ratios the amount be, of,
5: of calcium so that
4: ratio changes. Right. But that, those ratios are really broadly applied across plant species, much less different strains of cannabis. So those those ratios relate to basic photosynthetic functions, most of them, and uptake processes that are common to sort of plants. Um, So the idea that one plant would require like a, a different ratio of calcium and magnesium than another plant, that that's the part that I'm just, I'm not following to that step of this equation. If we're talking about one plant prefers a stronger mix and the other prefers a weaker mix, I, I follow. But the, the relationships of some of these antagonistic um, nutrients really need, I have a, a narrow range of sort of what one can be relative to the other. And that's why they sell CalMag as, a, as one product, because the relationship between the ratio between calcium and magnesium is super important.
5: But, but it does, it doesn't exactly work the same because the plant does absorb, you know, like a divalent cation, for instance, when you have calcium, uh, magnesium and sodium, and then you have a monovalent cation like uh, uh, potassium. And so when they, diff- when it diffuses into solution or it, or when it is in solution, it's going
4: to, they, they react differently they're they're because of the the and that point i think it's this diffusing or dropping into solution versus already being in solution point that makes your management approach so much different than a hydroponic management approach would be um you're needing to think about how fast these things fall into solution in order to provide the right amounts of them so that the ratios are correct for the plant and that periodically requires you to supplement one versus the other in a hydroponic system. All I'm saying
5: is that you can do the same testing for like tissue and sap. And if you needed to in a hydroponics setting, you could add if you just needed a a specific um, nutrient that you could, that there are in most cases uh, a nutrient that you could just add standalone to what you already have to increase that element. As far as I, I agree, like, Brendan. Like I guess we're
4: just PDF. saying I'm, I'm just saying that that would never happen in actual practice, that you would only need one element or that one element would get out of range unless you were using like really poor hydroponic nutrients that that didn't create the the effective nutrient element ratio that you were looking for that's the
0: case in in like my example i was going to bring up back in the early 2000s the person i knew who was growing in rdwc was buying from i believe it was raw nutrients back then and you could just buy nitrogen and calcium and whatever individually and they were mixing based on however much water and nutrient they thought that was needed and there was probably big deficiencies in their ner so when they added certain things it probably did have some benefit but in a traditional nutrient system they've got a pretty good balance of this but i think like what brandon's saying with his soils, something that I've heard him talk about in the past is like, he has like death breath, limarilla and three other strains. Right. And he right. gives them all roughly the same base mix. And then at that two weeks into flower, he tests everything. Some of them have used more of the calcium in the soil than the other ones. So more
4: than a ratio issue, I would argue. So something, yeah, in- that's
3: what I was messing up. I think it was semantic on my part. Cause that's what I was. Uh, no, they all
5: get, of. they all get by, by volume and and weight of top dress the same thing so i can physically see on the data what is being used more but it's not just soil it's also i'm i'm testing the tissue right and i'm seeing physically okay well look at all these targets match on soil and on what's falling into solution so they're i'm meeting all of those yet this one right here has a way higher percentage of calcium so it has so it's able to acquire calcium at a greater value than this variety over here so i know that i don't need as much let's say gypsum and i can drop it down for that variety because even though it's it's because oh, it's over the sufficient amount
4: it doesn't I, need I, to I be i just got enough. to disagree with the conclusions that you're drawing from the evidence and and i just argued to keep thinking about what what those <laughs> mean between them because there isn't going to be a big difference between one plant's use of calcium and another plant's use of calcium. There may be a difference between Okay, the well I have the data the I have
5: the data that shows differently because I've been I've been testing and doing these analytics for two years straight, weekly, you know, and I see the correlations of maintaining target levels for both saturated paste and soil and the correlation between both tissue and sap analysis
4: okay there's lots of other parts of the system that they could explain those differences between individual plants or individual strains or individual growth systems but the, the uh, there's but something that's the not translating here exactly because the
5: same you know because plants the use same- the same
4: basic ratio of nutrients for the same basic purposes and at, for that reason plants generally across species like i was talking about require basically the same nutrient element ratio um so like the how the idea that are there are huge differences leaf. in, in oh. terms of specific nutrients like calcium between just two varieties of the same um species. Know,
7: Doc. you get an indica with big fat green leaves that have a ton of leaves and you get a sativa that has really thin leaves that not many at all there's got to be a different amount of nutrients being used. No? The,
4: the nutrients are used for photosynthesis, and primarily the nutrients are used for photosynthesis, which is a, a fairly similar process across all of different plants. Some of the compounds kind of like how need, different. but
3: one plant isn't more photosynthetically efficient. Like we don't have yeah. like one plant that's like you know, can do double than all the other plants. Right.
4: Okay. So maybe they do need twice as much. But they don't need a different mix. They don't need a different blend, a different ratio of calcium, magnesium, nitrogen, phosphorus, all of this. Right, right. But I we're all I mean, kind of I mean, the same thing. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on just... with your system, Brandon. I'm really actually fascinated by your gathering of this data. And I don't want this to be sort of like a, a contrarian thing. I'm just trying to sort of wrap my head around what you're so, I mean, I witnessing. Can, and I, I think can, it's really interesting, the, the data that you're gathering.
5: I, I consult and do about a dozen different farms, um, uh, soil analytics and data. And I can tell you across the board, you have different forms of testing. First of all, the soil test, what that does, is it gives you a total overall amount of what is in your soil. And then you have what's called a saturated paste and it is a weak acid extraction paste. So it shows you what is soluble in your soil as it is hydrated, right? And what, in what biological form now that data if you're meeting those targets across the board, right? Cause I have a target that is set for cannabis. I know what the target is for the leaf tissue analysis, you know, and I know what the sap levels should be too. So if, if I'm meeting the target nutritional values and I'm maintaining sufficiency and balance of the nutrient as it falls into solution, then the tissue analytics will show that okay i'm hitting all my target levels for calcium nitrogen nitrogen phosphorus and they're all in the ranges where they should be right and then what i can also see though is i can see which specific cultivars and are using more of what nutrient by doing sap analysis and sap analysis what it does is you test fully photos that synthetic um, lower mature leaves and fully photosynthetic top mature leaves and what it does is it shows you a nutrient differential between the bottom and the top leaves and what that can show you is what mobile nutrients are being mobilized from the bottom tissue to fulfill a requirement that it's not getting from the solution yes so it you have you know a bunch of different data points and when you Are looking at it over and over and over and you test you know five six times throughout a run when i test bi-weekly right on all my beds and i have these data sets that say this is what's happening these are the the levels that i'm running and then if i increase those levels i can see the increase on the tissue i can see that it's no longer pulling phosphorus from the lowers to try to supplement it if i increase those levels in the soil and the levels that fall into solution.
3: I gotcha. Actually, now you reminded me that I think the nutrient absorption thing I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast might have actually been like the mobility of certain elements that we've stereotyped as like not being mobile as being mobile. But now I'm forgetting which one it was. So thank you yeah. for reminding me of that.
5: And and that's one of the reasons why we do this. Do this is because there's a, a, immobile nutrients that if you don't have a su- sufficient amount being consistently uptaken for new growth, they're not going to be able to pull it from the bottoms. And so that can hinder things like enzyme process or the photosynthesis process or the building of you know proteins or the building of chlorophyll or you, you know the construction of rubisco enzyme any of those things are are possible so i just try to keep all those levels those target levels maintained in the in ideal ranges and if you have your environment dialed in you know you it you know you get these high quality and high yields you can see i mean i just posted something on my ig feed today from organic glaze Uh, when I was over there early today and they do all the same thing. I have a bunch of different people I work with and they all get the same result because they all do the exact same system and I've just replicated it over and over again.
0: Do you ever uh, notice if it like, you know, the cost for a farm because they're doing all these tests that they can actually lower input costs because they know exactly what the plant needs and maybe they're not using as many nutrients or things like that? I'm going to
5: give you I'm going to give you a perfect example. Um, On Friday, I went uh, on a consult to a farm and they've been in business there. I'm not going to name them, but they're one of the larger uh, brands out here in Oklahoma. And they're already using soil. They were using house and garden nutrients. And they the whole time, though, they're guessing, you know, like, man, what are we needing? We couldn't figure this out. They couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like. You guys are already using soil. What you guys need to do is you need to test this soil, look at what's happening, see if your salts are high, see if your chloride's high, see if you got high bicarbonates, right? If you do it, you need to look at the nutritional balance. You need to see if uh, you have too much magnesium or not enough magnesium. You need to look at your potassium levels and then you you can repair that soil by, you know, if it's overloaded with stuff, you can flush your soil out and then you can reamend it. And get to those target levels, and so there's a lot of people who are using bottles, and that can completely be thrown out. And instead, they get a pallet price on wholesale fifty-pound bags of organic agriculture nutrients. You know, mineral sulfates, gypsum, epsom salt. Um, you know, things like soy meal, amino acids, and they can incorporate that into their system and they know exactly how much they need to add. So they're not wasting. And also they're getting their nutrients for way less, way, way less than they're paying. They were, you know, like when you buy in bulk and you're buying 50 pound bags of, and your iron is 25% iron as opposed to the, the 0.5% they have in a, a solution you can maximize that new, your nutrient use efficiency can be greater, right? So you're, you're spending less and then you're getting greater efficiency out of the product itself. So yes, the whole idea behind doing this is to reduce the overhead for farms. And that's exactly what I've done. And I've been able to prove this model countless times. And it's one, my dude, my, I have been busy every day with the exception of today on, on consults the whole for the last since the start of the uh the since the third it's people want a piece of them
0: some brandon man shit they see your garden's killing it they're like fuck i want to do that too uh i'll I'll fucking pay this dude come out here fucking check out my shit get me in line do it his way i mean if you got a a proven system that's working for you people are definitely going to want to try and replicate it in many different states and uh it it makes sense this You're is what like well. this is what like
5: wine growers are doing if you have orchards you know they test the soil and they say okay we need to you know we need to you know add some lime to increase the pH or we need to add some cal, uh some gypsum to add some calcium or we need to add some potassium sulfate for some potassium and they'll put that down in the bands where the trees are growing at the root system you know at the time that's it's most needed you know they know when to apply those fertilizers so that they get the most efficiency yeah. out of them.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's to, to restore that because that's the thing that's out of balance in in their crop field, whatever it is, their vineyard um, to maintain the, the ratio between all the elements to keep the plants happy. Yeah.
5: And not only that, it? but you know, a lot of these farms they're if they are growing in soil, um, they're throwing out their media and then they're buying mm-hmm. more. Or they might be growing, I like, you know, I have a couple people that I that I work with that were growing in cocoa and they switched to soil because they were growing in cocoa almost identical to the way that I grow in soil, you know, fabric pots and all. And I was like, why don't you just switch this system out and then just test? And then you don't have to worry about when when you you say soil, you're talking about a peat-based media though, right? We're talking, yeah, we're talking about a, well, I'm not talking about an agronomic soil. I'm talking about a peat-based or a cocoa-based uh, modified growing mix.
4: Yeah, which is technically soil like without soil, but everybody seems to call it soil. This has been one of the big sort of points yeah, of, well, of education on our New Year's Grow Challenge where we separated a peat group and a soil group um, and lots of people were confused about whether they were growing in peat or soil
5: there, the only difference really is the organic matter percentage and kind of well, some of the, the, the groups and the way that it reacts, right. Cause you have a lot more clay and agri- agronomic soils. And so the chemistry Soil. Different. Yeah.
4: Soil technically is sand silt and clay. Um, it can be a sandy soil too, which doesn't hold very much water, clay soil or loam. <laughs> Um, but the base of soil is sand, silt, or clay, um, not peat. Peat is an organic process that is soilless. It's without sand, silt, or clay, so there is no soil per se.
5: And I always and I usually and to It's and it's or, uh,
4: a modified growing mix
5: but yeah, um it's know, technically most hydroponic, people still call it soil so isn't I just roll
0: silt like stone right and isn't pumice stone so you've got a third of it is aeration that's stone that's silt. it's all right.
4: basically stones they're just different granular sizes so. yeah so i mean yeah we a... have
5: a lot of that too micronized micronized gypsum and rock and phosphate. clays that
0: are used in uh even soilless medias sometimes like subcool's uh super soil mix has uh monto or something like that and that's Montem- what Montem- is- yeah. it's
4: whatever the base is and, and at that point if you are mixing a soil in, you wouldn't probably call it soilless anymore but it would still be a peat based yeah. grow media i agree i agree with that. Well, as I, opposed I to a soil based uh, grow media
5: i did a i did a, a soil test on kind of like a hybrid system that was different types of soil like real soil topsoil mixed in with Uh, peat and recycled soil on top of like composting like logs and a ton of like crop covers and organic compost and so it's kind of like a it's it's like a a hybrid between uh, soil and soilless media. It was kind of interesting uh, concept that she was working with.
0: Spartan Grown's got to get going here, but I wanted to also shout out Johnny Caniseed, who has rebrought out the sand tech, where he takes his clones and just puts them straight in sand because he saw it in some, uh, I think it was like some fruit tree um, propagation thing, and he uses for cannabis and that works. And that sand can go right into soil. So you've got your uh, sand portion. And I know people actually have topped their soil with sand to try and get rid of fun- fungus gnats and things like that. Um, like playground sand ph neutral or whatever you Don't just, yeah you
1: probably just pull it out and rinse it with some water and it'd be just free roots you probably wouldn't take yeah, they are. With it at all
0: um, i'm just saying like, it's yeah. not going to hurt the soil i guess and it yeah, for makes sure. it more like a actual soil Heration. people like think that a, a soil list isn't really anything like a true soil when there is some elements that are present that we might not think about firsthand
1: yeah yeah man i as far as what we were just talking about, I think I, I grow in soil when I go outside. But uh, otherwise, in my pots, I, I consider I'm growing in compost. <laughs> I'm growing a fucking compost, man. But anyhow, uh, it was an awesome chat. It flowed the whole time, man. Time just flew by. So that was cool. And it's good. I love these conversations back and forth like this. Uh, I think we learned the best that way. Um, so it was really enlightening for me. I don't know about anybody else. Anyways, cheers, chat. Cheers, everybody else. Fuck the MCMA and I'll be on the Michigan bros Grow show in about uh, 15 minutes or so.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah. Got to fight for uh, grower and carrier rights.
6: Right. Right. Take it Spartan. easy, man.
0: And definitely check them out in uh, 15 minutes. The Michigan bros Grow show will be going live uh, for their Sunday show. And they also do a late sesh tomorrow night. So check them out. They've got some really entertaining cannabis content as well. So appreciate Spartan always making time to come over and join us here as well. Cause he's on lots of shows and uh, he's a marathon man. Eh? Don't know how he does it sometimes, but I appreciate all he puts out there. Even if he's just like, you know, tonight he was mostly quiet, but uh, I always appreciate him. That being said, another person who's been a little quiet tonight, I want to give Noah the Groa a chance. Uh, have you popped anything new recently? I know uh, we've talked a little bit about your garden and what's in flower, but I know you talked about having a tent and you wanted to try some new genetics out, and uh, I'm curious if how that stuff's been going.
6: I haven't. I've had so much going on uh, with COVID and stuff, and uh, I've been just barely able to even up- keep what I've got going on. But yeah, I haven't said a whole lot uh, when people are higher level than me are talking about some of this stuff. I, uh, I'm at school. Uh, I'm, I'm paying close attention. I've listened intently to that, to that whole entire conversation. And man, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't have any of that testing stuff that uh, that Brandon has, but I can just attest that I've. N- that I can tell certain strains require different nutrients. Uh, I just over the years of growing the exact same strain. Like I know my platinum plant, it requires this much of that, it more a little bit more. And I'm not talking like huge levels more, but I notice a difference when I give that plant a little bit more nitrogen. So I, hey, I, I mean, it, could I be wrong? Sure, but just with my personal experience, I've noticed little things like that myself personally. So I mean, I got bro science. That's what I got. You know what I mean? Old school stuff where I'm just checking it out and, you know, mentally making notes about. You know, that's how I've dialed stuff in. It's just change a little bit here, change a little bit there, and um, the 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 somebody said earlier the, the half strength. I, I always go with that, you know, and then just dial, you know, some ramp it up. That's just how I've always done everything for the last almost twelve years. So, but uh, I, remember- I got a bunch of really I got a bunch of really cool seeds um, that I need to pop. I got some from brandon i got some from kyle i bought some from come with a grower i just haven't uh i just haven't done it um, i got more than that you know i mean i got all kinds of stuff um i just i uh, haven't been able to do it um i had a real tough route with this with my health and um i've been really trying to just get healthy and get my you know it ran through my whole family so um been dealing with all that and just trying to get healthy but no, I'm definitely, that's the next step. I'm I'm getting ready to pop some seeds and I've been saying it for a while, but I definitely am excited to do it. So.
0: Well, we're definitely happy that you're getting better and uh, we definitely don't want you to push yourself there too much. So take it easy and make sure you are getting lots of sleep and staying hydrated and uh, do your best to get a full recovery there. Cause I know it's uh, it's tough. Everybody gets hit a little bit differently, but you've had a rough it, and I'm definitely happy to hear that you're even just starting to feel better now is a great sign because some people, a lot of people didn't make it through my dad being one. And I know many other people have lost. Sorry people. So it's, um, it's a very real thing. And I think that uh, sometimes we got to acknowledge it. I know there's a recent wave popping around and it's not the thing that most people want to talk about, but it definitely exists. I know it's going to affect supply chains again. I almost guarantee if, if you're not already being impacted by it. So another reason I think to be able to be crafty with your stuff, I think like Dr. MJ has shown people, I think how to, Um, like rinse and reuse your cocoa over and over. And Brandon has shown people how to reuse your soil. So on both ends, you can be, um, you know, frugal in that way. Cheap home grow, you know, the more you can reuse the stuff, it it lowers your input costs, but it also lowers the cost on the planet. So, and you can still have plenty of success with it. A lot of people got tricked into the idea of grow stores telling Mm -hmm. you, you have to buy new shit. every run, fully, everything new, every single run pots, nutrients, media, everything, throw it all out or else you're going to have problems. And um, in some cases, you don't have to necessarily do that. But I guess looking over at Matthew's uh, Square, it lightened up there for a second. So I guess there are IPM implications of reusing things. So be careful when you uh, are re-amending to be diligent about what you're bringing in and bringing out of your grow spaces and even places where you're amending soils. Because uh, even though that's not where you're growing, that can attract pests that can uh, become involved in your grow space. So something to think about.
3: This conversation actually reminded me that um, uh, when I used to work with uh, the ornamental growers of the gerberas that I've talked about a bunch of times on the show, um, I remember that they would have when we did the replanting, which was an onerous, uh, <laughs> many many <laughs> week uh, process for these people. But sometimes we would re- we would reorient where we put the different flowers, and we had to group them based sometimes on. Um, Yes, there was some level of like nutrient preference or something like this. Uh, I don't really understand. And I didn't know the details of how they figured this out, but one of the things that always impressed me about it was that, um, uh, the greenhouse space was very old. Um, it was built in the late sixties and, um, they would, they were constantly dealing with other sorts of things. Like there were fire, you know, the fires are put out by management and other people all the time. Um, Uh, they're not around anymore, so I don't feel bad saying anything about this, but uh, I think it really made it very difficult. It was very hard for them to even ascertain things because it was a big environment. The technology, you know, wasn't there in a lot of places. Um, And like, you know, spitters and valves and pipe systems were old and kind of uh, (laughs) decrepit. So um you know it made it very difficult for them i think to ascertain truly like certain nutrient ratios like things would just go haywire and it'd be very difficult to to ascertain why so to that end you know i know this is the cheap home grow podcast and this is a commercial agriculture um property but uh it's true what they say you know if you keep it simple (laughs) there's less things to troubleshoot right
0: one of my favorite things I guess lately of keeping it simple was I followed Jeremy at build a soil for a long time. He sources a lot of good um, inputs for people that are trying to build their own soil. Hence the name of the website, I guess, and company. And, um, he did a thing, it was like his grow series where he's doing kind of like what Brandon's doing, where he tested weekly to see the levels of nutrients in the saturated paste and as well as the, um, SAP analysis. And then side by side, he did that versus just using uh, what he calls his craft blend, which is like, I think it's like 17 different amendments, and then um, watering in uh, six micronutrients with hemic acid. And they had very similar results, like going basically like blind, but giving it like the buffet of amendments and micronutrients. Although it's not perfect, if you use a large enough pot growing with organics, you can uh, definitely have success cultivating that way. And he showed it side by side, you can check out Build a Soil on Instagram, and he's got uh, plenty of side by side grows of different lights and uh, plants and like he grew in earth boxes versus large pots. In one example, it was like a two 30 gallon pots next to like uh, two earth boxes, which are only like 15 uh, gallons of soil. So it actually kind of impressed me with, it made me get an earth box and not from him in particular, but I got one and was surprised with the results because in that amount of space, it grew a lot more uh, biomass than what I was producing with uh, smaller pots. So um, I definitely have seen some really impressive stuff from him and, I definitely think uh, if people want to keep it simple, that's one really easy way to do it. You basically need two bags of inputs and your base soil. So uh, with that being said, we've come up to the 555 hour here on the West Coast. And that's usually when I pass it around to the amazing panel that joined me this week to give their final thoughts and shout outs. And I'll start first with Matthew Gates.
3: Yeah, I'm glad that people really enjoyed the dialogue, and I certainly did, and uh, especially because it was on a subject that I didn't have as much uh, learning on, to be honest. Uh, I try to understand as best I can, but uh, plant physiology is, is complex, <laughs> let alone animal. So um, if you're interested in that kind of subject, um, I actually just literally, while we were po- uh, talking, I posted the um, uh, video of the Orius going after the thrips. And uh, so if you're interested in seeing that, that's on my account right now. This is the Zenthanol YouTube channel. And uh, you can also find my content at uh, my Instagram account at Syncangel S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L. And for professional inquiries, you can contact me at Xenthanol.com. Or sometimes you can drop a DM in the Instagram. Sometimes uh, I am not too busy to take a look at those.
0: We are very happy that you weren't too busy to join us this week and uh, to give us some great information as always. So thank you again for joining us. Next up, we have Matthew Gates or not Matthew Gates. You <laughs> just went. That was a uh, good puff there. Uh, next up, we got Dr. MJ. Oh,
3: wow.
4: That was funny. I was like, wow, am I living like, is this a, a little groundhog e-fresh? day? yeah like what happened Bleach i thought we just heard from matthew gates because i'm often you know <laughs> when we're like three or four outros or intros and in, i'm like wait did that person already talk did i miss somebody because you know we're double tap stuff.
0: backwards 10 seconds on the youtube you know you double tap the screen and it goes back 10 seconds that's yeah yeah
4: exactly mind. exactly i'm like wait wait this is live i think it's coming out yeah um anyways guys this was an intellectually stimulating show um I definitely got me thinking about some interesting things. I, I hope everybody enjoyed it. I, I certainly wasn't uh, trying to cause problems. I'm just trying to understand. And I thought a lot of the stuff that, that Brandon was talking about was, was really interesting. And I think it's commendable to, to go after your sort of an understanding on those levels. Um, you know, and we got into some other topics before that including even my plants. I will plan to um, get my, my journal posted. God, I'm gonna try to do it tonight. I keep saying that though, and I keep not doing it and people are going, I'm going to lose all credibility. Um, but it really is something that that I am going to do and, and try to keep updated throughout this grow. Um, I'm having fun with it. And these are going to be four plants that are fun to grow together. Um, I posted a big video, like I talked about at the top, um, a comparison video of nine different lights that I've tested and kind of breaks them down, looks at sort of how I would evaluate different lights. If you're interested in that, whether you're wanting one of those or any other light, I think it's, It's an interesting way to to tear them apart. So check that out on my YouTube channel and sign up for the the NYGC, it's not too late. We accept stragglers into the NYGC. So if you wanna start some plants now, you can. We're doing um, three big Photon Tech giveaways this month, starting next week, a drawing, and the following week a drawing. And then after that, we're doing a a photo contest. Um, So lots of cool community camaraderie and chances to win cool stuff. other than that, I'll get out of here. Grow love, everyone.
0: Thanks, as always, for joining us. And definitely looking forward to the seeing the community this year with the New Year's Grow Challenge and everything else. Appreciate all the information about the lights and also the giveaways. It's great to see people in the community getting lights and growing. I, that's one thing I'm always advocating, probably to an annoying amount. Is telling people, like, we need to grow more and, like, get more people growing. And that's one way to do it is hand out lights. It's one of the most expensive parts of the grow. And uh, if you give them a good quality one, chances are they're going to go and grow some good quality cannabis with it. So cheers to you on that, Dr. MJ, and all that you're doing over there. CocoForCannabis.com, and uh next up brandon rust thank you so much for joining us great discussion today
5: hey what's going on uh yep yeah i always enjoy um coming on the show and talking about what's going on and uh just going back and forth and stuff it's cool i like it um so uh if you guys don't already know you can find me on ig and bokashi earthworks i'm having 50 uh a special 50% off on all microbes this month um, so that's going on and yeah they're just I just uh, will be doing my Bokashi stuff and I got this new grow I'm setting up I'm gonna put up in a little dispensary downstairs and uh, we'll keep doing what we're doing out here in Oklahoma
0: Oklahoma's awesome. Like that. I, I've only seen like one, uh, in California where you, there's actually a grow at the dispensary, um, right next to it. But it's, it's really cool when you can have that to uh, give people sort of the experience of like, look, there's the plants over there and they're like we, six, a flower or whatever it is, you know? So, uh, very cool that you're going to have access to doing that. And I really wish you nothing but the best of success in your, uh, ventures moving forward there and elsewhere. I know you're consulting, not just in Oklahoma. So, uh, definitely don't be afraid to hit Brandon up. He's, uh,
5: Oh Yeah, We're actively if working in this business. Needs, if anybody has a big ass pile of soil sitting in their backyard, that's like, What do I do with this? You can go, you know, get that soil tested through Logan Labs, get it a saturated paste and a soil test, and send it to me, and I'll, and you know, I can tell
6: you exactly what you need to add to it.
0: Good information to have for sure. And, um, very cool. Up, uh, we got Noah the Grower.
6: Hey, how's it going, everybody? Yeah, no, I've had a great show. I, uh, I was just intently listening. Um, Anything when uh, guys that know a lot more than me are talking, I'm definitely into it. Uh, I'm trying to learn. That's, you know, I I always tell everybody, like I I learn something new in my grow room every day, or if I don't, I wish I did. So I'm trying to learn everything I can. And um, man, yeah, that soil testing stuff, that sounds great. uh, I'm lucky to have a pretty good pile of soil myself. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just blessed individual man life is great so but yeah if anybody uh wants to find me i'm noah the girl with two e's you can find me on instagram i've been kind of slacking about posting but i'll be posting some stuff up here pretty quick and i'll see everybody next week
0: i've also been slacking on posted and i'll agree that life is great i feel blessed and it's good to say it out into the world and universe and be thankful and uh you know count our blessings i guess sometimes and uh appreciate the, the good soil and things like that and um last and certainly not least the american one
7: Jack and everyone on the panel is great. Um, I always love hearing Dr. MJ Coco and Brandon talk nutrients and the availability and all that jazz. Um, And yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't in chat more. I've been having issues with my keyboard. That's part of the problem, but it was good to see everybody there. And uh, yeah, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore your teens on the IGs. Most of you know me and where to find me. If you want to hit me up in the DMS, you can. And uh, yeah, everybody have a great week and we'll see you on the next one.
0: So how I th- feel like you're like me and got one of these glass screen protectors, and now it's harder to tap on your phone on the buttons, so it's harder to type Yeah, I'm it.
7: about ready to throw this thing out anyway, though, but yeah, it's it's so annoying sometimes, I got to say. It
0: is super inconvenient, that's for sure. Um, I think it's about time for me to get a new phone. My screen underneath the screen protector is broken. That's just my way to avoid scratching up my fingers. I'm too cheap to want to replace it. I have the money. I just, to, I don't know, something about I'll end up breaking it like the day after I get it replaced. So I just rather throw a five or $10 screen protector over it, than spend the hundred plus or whatever it is to replace the screen. But I'm rambling about non-cannabis stuff as per usual. Sometimes Uh, I've been Jack Greenstock as always joined by an amazing panel. Thank you all so much for joining me. If you want to email me Jack Greenstock 47 at gmail.com. I'm also found on Twitter, Jack underscore Greenstock. And I appreciate everybody who's here, both in the uh, YouTube, uh, live listening and all the people that are listening after, and my fellow panelists. Thank you all so much for joining me, and I will catch you next week. Growers love and uh, peace out.
4: Grower love everyone.
2: Jack Greenstock signing out.